take steps in your faith. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16 uh, this morning and kind of as a little story as a way to get into the message this morning. A few years ago, Gina and I, we were vacationing down in Southern California and we wanted to spend a couple days at what's affectionately known as the happiest place on earth. The place I'm talking about is, right, it's Disneyland. It's, I learned really soon, really early on, being an adult, that it's not only the happiest place on earth, but the most expensive place on earth. Dad's in the room. Do you guys feel me? Yeah. So, so I got to say, going to, um, going to Disneyland, um, my favorite ride at Disneyland, favorite ride at Disneyland is Space Mountain. Space Mountain. Yeah. Okay. Space Mountain. Great ride at Disneyland. So I was, uh, I was on Disney Plus the other day, and I thought it was awesome that they had a behind-the-scenes look at the ride Space Mountain. I'm like, oh my goodness, behind-the-scenes look at Space Mountain. So, uh, so we were on Disney Plus, and, or, and I, w- I was watching this, and I learned, these, I learned some things about Space Mountain that was pretty interesting to me. Some of you guys are like, this is boring. Just, just hang with me for a second. One, Space Mountain is actually one of the slowest thrill rides at Disneyland, but... Because it's in the dark, it seems like it's one of the fastest. Also, if you don't learn anything else at church today, that's what you learn. Also, Space Mountain was built 20 years after Disneyland was built, and it cost more to build Space Mountain than all of the Disneyland park when it was built. Isn't that interesting, right? That's kind of fascinating. And the show gave me some some insight and kind of opened my eyes to uh, Space Mountain in ways I had no idea about. And I nerded out because I love Space Mountain. But we're going to look at a passage of scripture today in Acts 16 that I think will give you some insight. And will open your eyes to the question, who has the potential to follow Jesus? Who has the potential to follow Jesus? Because we live in a world that categorizes, labels, and divides people. And sometimes, when it comes to following Jesus, sometimes we can do that to other people, or we can even do that to ourselves. I have talked to people before, and they say something like this when it comes to Jesus. They say this. They say, I'm not the Jesus or church Type. I think if we can get that up on the screen. I'm not the Jesus or church type. It's just not for me. I'm not in that category of people. Or, or maybe you are a a Jesus follower. You're a Christian and you have a friend or a coworker or family member and you think, man, those people, they'll never be a Christian. They're just, they're just too far out there. They're just too, uh, uh, they're too lost. They, they'll never be open. They just aren't that type of person. You ever thought that before? Maybe you're in the room, maybe you're online, and you think this about yourself, that I'm just not the Jesus or church type. It's just not for me, and somebody bribed or begged you to come here because it's a big Sunday. This is what we're going to see in Acts chapter 16. This might surprise you. Every single person, this might surprise you, is that there's no Christian type. In fact, there's no mold that you have to fit into that's like, okay, they have potential to be a Jesus follower. We're in Acts 16. Here's the context of the story. There's a couple guys that are in this city called Philippi. 
It's a major metropolitan city. This is like Chicago, New York, San Francisco. It's well populated, it's diverse, it's got a whole lot of things going on. In fact, if you live in this time period, you're going to Philippi for a weekend trip because there's a lot to do. But these guys, Paul and Silas, they go here not for a weekend trip to get away with the boys. But they're there because they want to make Jesus known and share Jesus with other people. So that's the context. Metropolitan city, a lot happening, well populated, diverse. A couple guys come here to share Jesus with people and watch what happens. Acts 16, um, verse number 13. It says, on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath is just Saturday. So on Saturday, we, this is Paul and Silas, they go outside the city gate by the river, outside of Philippi, where we expected to find a place of prayer. So they go to this place to find a place where they can pray. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. So by this river, there was a group of ladies that were gathered there. And when it says we spoke to the women, this literally means they had a rational discourse with these ladies. Now think for a second. If Paul and Silas go to Philippi, to make Jesus known, to talk to people about Jesus. What do you think they had a conversation, a rational discourse? What do you think they spoke about? Bingo. They spoke about Jesus. Now look what happened after they spoke about him. Verse 14. It tells us one of the people that were there. There is a God-fearing woman named Lydia. Everybody say Lydia. So there's this God-fearing woman named Lydia, okay? So tell me about this lady, Lydia, all right? Who, who is this person? Well, first of all, she was a dealer in purple cloth. A dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. How many of you guys in the room, your favorite color is purple? Some of you guys, okay, some of you guys, your favorite color is purple? So you might see this, and you're like, oh, that's cool. She liked purple clothing. Here's what you got to know about this time period. Purple clothing, purple cloth was really expensive, it was really, really valuable. So this is what this tells us about Lydia. Because she was a dealer in purple cloth, she was a fashion designer that was rich. This lady wasn't just selling the clothes at Ross, right? This was the expensive, high-end clothes. She's wealthy. She's done really well for herself. In fact, in the next verse, it says she was a homeowner. You see Lydia, oh, can we go back? Not done yet. You see Lydia on social media and you're like, that woman has herself together. Lydia, she's living her best life. She's from Thyatira. Thyatira is a well-known city. She sell, she's a, she has a, she has a home. She's selling expensive clothes. She's a dealer. You look at her and you're like, life goals. I want to be like Lydia. But it isn't enough to satisfy the longings of Lydia's heart, even though she's rich, wealthy, famous. Maybe not famous, but she's rich and she's definitely wealthy. She knows she needs something. She knows there's something more out there. She has an internal dissatisfaction. Now, it says something interesting. It says she's a God-fearing woman. Now, you might think, oh, she fears God, so that means she was Christian. She followed Jesus. Doesn't mean that. All it means is that she wasn't a pagan. She didn't believe in dozens of gods. 
It means that she was probably a moral person. It means that she probably was a spiritual person, a spiritual person. But she was not a Jesus-following person. And what Paul does is he has a rational, intellectual conversation about Jesus with a very spiritual, open-minded person. And look what happens. The Lord opened her heart to respond. Everybody say the word respond. Ready? Respond. To respond. This is what the word respond means. All it means is the message that these guys were sharing with her was a compelling message. It was an attractive message. She's hearing about Jesus maybe for the first time in her life. She's very spiritual. She's gotten into all these different things. She's, she knows there's something out there, and she's searching, obviously. But Paul says, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done for you. And she responds because it's attractive. Look what it says in verse number 15. How does she respond? In verse 15, it says, after she and her household were baptized. So she heard the truth about Jesus. I want to follow him. I'm putting my faith in him. She publicly identified with him through baptism. She then urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, if you consider me somebody that has trusted in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Baptism, and there's sometimes there's some confusion with baptism. Baptism is simply a public expression of an inward decision that somebody has made to put their faith in Jesus Christ. For example, I wear a wedding ring. I wear a, a, a silicon wedding ring. This is really fancy, guys. It was like $1.99 on Amazon. I know, Stone Street's are big ballers, right? So I wear this, and all this does is this just me publicly expresses that in 2015, I married Gina. This lady was baptized. This lady had wealth. This lady had herself together. And this lady turned to the Lord. Now, there's a second person that we're going to look at in the next verses, and she's the complete opposite of Lydia. Like, she doesn't have herself together. In fact, we could use this word, she's broken. She's been messed up morally, economically, and spiritually. This is a woman, the next person we're talking about, this lady's destitute. This lady has no hope. This lady, by all accounts, is completely lost. Look what it says. Verse 16. Once, as we, Paul and Silas, we're on our way to prayer, so they're going to pray. There's a, a slave girl. The really smart people, theologians, they believe this was a teenage girl. This slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She was demonically possessed. And she made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. She has a demon and she's a slave. So she's been spiritually and economically taken advantage of. She's busted up. She's a victim of injustice. She's been exploited. And look what happens to her, verse 17. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. 
Wow. Even though she's possessed by a demon, she knows these men that are proclaiming Jesus don't just have a truth, but have the truth. These men are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now, look what Paul's response is. So It's so um, honest and so real, verse 18. This is his response to what she's doing. She did this for many days. She did it for a while. So Paul was greatly annoyed. This is what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, Paul, seeing this slave girl, had compassion and empathy and love towards her. Didn't say. He was annoyed. Real quick, before we cast judgment, if a demon-possessed lady was following you around many days, yelling things at you, you would be annoyed too. He was annoyed. Turning to the spirit, this is what he said. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. This girl had in emotional, radical encounter with Jesus that could not be explained. And her life was changed. Lydia was changed through a rational conversation. The slave girl, who we don't even know what her name is. I don't know. Bertha? I don't know. This slave girl was changed by an emotional experience. Now, there's one other person, the last person I want us to see. It's a man. It's a man that, that had been hardened. It's a man that he had experienced life. And it had probably left him a little cynical. We're going to skip down. Um, in fact, we're going we're gonna to skip down and we're going to go to um, verse number 23 if we can. We're going to skip down to verse number 23. Because Paul and Silas, because they had been because they had um, cast out the spirit, they were thrown into jail. They were flogged. They were beaten. And they go to jail, verse, number, verse 23. They were severely flogged them. They threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, the jailer, he put them into the inner prison. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. The inner prison was disgusting. It was the lowest part of a Roman prison. Literally, diseases were rampant, and just being real, fecal matter ran down into the lower part of the prison. This is a nasty place. This is not a place that you want to go. And these guys went into, they were thrown into this prison, not because of anything they did wrong. They didn't do anything wrong, but because they healed this girl. This is what it says in verse number 25. They were in the prison, and look what they did. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How many of you guys, if you were thrown in prison for doing nothing wrong, you would not be singing praises to God, right? I'll tell you what I'd be doing. I'd be, I'd be saying things. I don't know what I'd be saying, but it wouldn't be Jesus things. I don't know what I'd be singing, but it wouldn't be worship songs. Like, check this out. They've been thrown, they've been thrown in prison for no reason, and at midnight, they're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Mm. The prisoners were listening. The prisoners were probably like, what is going on with those guys? They were listening to them. And suddenly, at midnight, there was a, such a violent earthquake. 
that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. Verse 27, what did the jailer do? Well, the jailer did what jailers would do in this situation. When the jailer woke up, he's taking a nap. It's midnight, right? He's sleeping. The jailer wakes up. He saw the doors of the prison standing open. He drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. The thing about jailers you got to know is they were often highly decorated Roman soldiers that as a retirement gift were given jails to run. So this man is not a young guy in his 20s. This jailer is older. This jailer has experienced life. This jailer had been in war. This jailer had experienced things. He's probably a little cynical towards life. And he's going to kill himself. Why is he going to kill himself? Simple. Honor. Prisoners are escaping on his watch. Can't do it anymore. He's going to fall on his sword. Look what, look what happens. Verse 28. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Why is this guy trembling? Because he's never seen this before. First of all, these weird Jesus guys, they're singing worship music at midnight. And now they're not escaping at an opportunity. This is what's happened. This jailer has seen some people's lives that have been deeply changed by Jesus, and it impacts them. He's trembling. You know, when somebody is spiritually indifferent and not open to hearing the gospel, you know what you do? You show them the gospel with your life. When somebody is spiritually indifferent towards spiritual things, we don't try to preach to them. We just show them with our life the good message, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came and died, and the implications for our lives. And also, what's really fascinating is you think about this, as he's watching Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas are living by a different narrative than the rest of the prisoners are living by. Paul and Silas have a different worldview. How different of a worldview do you have to have if at midnight you're singing praises to God? They're not shaking their fist at God saying, God, we came to Philippi to share Jesus with people, and now we're in the inner prison, and we're all chained up, and there's, oh, oh, God, I followed you to prison? Okay, God, if, um, if this, is where you, this is where you want me, I'm done. I'm peacing out. Can I say this? When we go through a difficult time and we kind of peace out from God, it shows we don't really love God. We love the gifts of God. And when the gifts of God cease and our love for God ceases, we didn't really love God. We just loved his gifts. This jailer had seen two guys that had life with a different narrative. And they said, God, we're going to use this opportunity to praise you, to seek you in the midst of this jail. You know, it kind of reminds me right now of Christians, Christ followers in Afghanistan. And I know a lot of you guys have been 
have been following it. We've been, I've, t- I've had so many conversations with us, with different folks in here. And there are, there are Christians right now in Afghanistan that they know they're going to lose their life in the next several weeks for their faith. They know they are. And rather than saying, we're going to deny our faith, it's actually made them stronger because they're finding strength from God. And I was actually reading a report last night that Christianity in Afghanistan, ironically, is actually growing. (laughs) Crazy. You know why? Because people who aren't Jesus followers are seeing the lives of Jesus followers that are living by a different set of a different narrative, by a different set of values, that praise God in the storm, that have joy in the hardships, and they say, there's something different about those people. I want what they have. And when we live lives that even in the midst of hard times, we're still praising, it makes a difference. Look at the response that this jailer has as he's trembling. In verse 30, he says, he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have my sins forgiven? What can I do? What can... And this is crazy. Like, this is a, this is a trained Roman soldier that's hardened, that's indifferent, that's not interested in spiritual things, that grew up in a, in a very pagan society. And he's like, I want what you have. They said, this is all you gotta do. Believe, trust in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you in your household. Believe, and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse number 32. Let's go ahead and get to verse 32. It says this. Um, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family were baptized. Isn't it fascinating? The man leads the way in following Jesus and the family follows. The man says we're prioritizing spiritual things and the family follows. Verse number 34. Last verse of the day. It says, he brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and he rejoiced. You know what knowing Jesus will do? It will cause a cynical person to be a rejoicing person. It will cause an angry person to be a loving person. This man rejoiced. Why? Because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. In your life, you may be lacking joy. And can I say that if you're not yet a Jesus follower, today can be the day where you get joy. Today can be the day where you put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You know, you look at a story like this, and you're like, what's the point of this story? This is what this story teaches us, that there's no type to being a Christian. There's no, there's no um, type where we can say, oh, that person has potential. No, in the story, fashion designer, yep. Potential. Exploited, abused teenage girl? Yep. Old, hardened, spiritually indifferent Roman soldier? Yep. And you may be thinking, it is not for me. Yes, it is. There's only one prerequisite for being a Christ follower, and it's realizing you need him. I want to end with the story. There's somebody in our church right now that grew up an atheist. In fact, their parents were atheists. They were sharing their story with me a little bit this week. And they weren't just atheists, but this person was very unfamiliar with even the word Jesus until they were about 20 years old. It's like Jesus didn't even really register, didn't really understand anything about him. 
up until that point, by their own admission, this is what they believed in. A couple things. Being a good person and making the world a better place. Sounds good, right? That, that was their, their narrative, their faith structure for their life was, be a good person, make the world a better place. They were in college, locally, and they were working at the mall. And a customer that, in their words, just wanted people to know Jesus gave this person a book called More Than a Carpenter. And for the first time in this person's life, they were introduced to Jesus Christ. And that began an investigation that this person went on, looking at secular sources, historical sources, reading the Bible to say, is this Jesus thing for real? Is this Jesus thing legit? And through this journey, this atheist with zero church background would walk in a place like this and like, what? This is so weird. I'm uncomfortable. Through this journey, this is the conclusion that this person in our church came to several years ago. They said this, it took more faith for me not to believe in God than to believe in him. Okay, talk about this Jesus guy. Okay, it's worth my investigation. And I'm studying, and I'm looking, I'm looking at what this secular history says, because you know all those Christian people, they're real biased. So I'm going to look at these guys. I'm just, I'm going to look at all these sources. And this was their conclusion. And 20 years ago, this person decided that they were going to trust Jesus and follow him. And in our church, we have somebody that faithfully serves, is faithfully in growth groups. And this is where it began. It began with them as an unlikely person with no church background, just studying out and saying, man, Jesus is for real. This is what we know, that there's no Jesus type. That Jesus isn't just available to a certain type of people, but to all people. But to all people. That includes you. That includes your family. That includes your coworkers. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too far lost. Nobody is too broken. Because Jesus is available to all. Let's pray together.